You are listening to the Coming Up for Air podcast hosted by Air Moms Lori McDougall and Annie Highwater. This podcast is sponsored by alliesinrecovery.net. Coming Up for Air brings together two wonderful people, both of whose adult sons are in recovery from opiate addiction. Annie Highwater and Lori McDougall have been through years of their loved one's active addiction. They have come to understand the direct link between taking care of yourself and being able to help your loved one. During these conversations, Lori and Annie address the questions and concerns brought up by Allies and Recovery members. And now, coming up for air with Lori McDougall and Annie Highwater. Hi, Annie. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. This week, we're going to be covering the topic of accountability. Just a couple of quick things that I looked up on accountability. I I question, like, what exactly is accountability? The definitions that I got were that accountability is the quality or state of being accountable, the willingness to accept responsibility or to account for one's actions, to be answerable to having to have to justify or be responsible for your behavior. It's a choice to rise above one's circumstances to demonstrate ownership or taking ownership. Um, So I've really been thinking about this topic because it keeps coming up in a lot of meetings that I've been going to and what I've been reading People, people asking the question of, one, how do I make my loved one accountable when, when we're in the middle of a crisis, or shouldn't I be making them accountable for their behavior? Don't they have to take responsibility for their behavior? And I've also been hearing it from a lot of, a lot of professional people, a lot of people like uh, social workers, but usually it's in, ter- it's in terms of like uh, someone who's been working in the field for a very long time. And I kind of came to the conclusion that accountability came out of this or, or this, this trend of making people accountable kind of came out of this time frame when we heard, and I don't know, you tell me if you remember this, Annie, but it, it, it was a time frame when consequences, you would hear consequences, con- they have to, you have to take responsibility, there has to be consequences for your actions, and there was this huge movement or wave all, all wrapped up in consequences back in the 90s. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you, do you I don't remember, remember that so much because I, I, um, I came out of a church background. So all of my psychology was learned in church settings. And that is where, where I mean, I was on a hunt for uh, when I, I attended church for 37 years, three times a week. So I was on a hunt for psychological answers and comfort and hope and all of those things you're searching for. And my answers were all, not that I don't still grasp onto some of those, but accountability in that setting, and I think it is for a lot of people in those religious settings, was sort of a confession type of situation. And I remember having an accountability partner, and I remember being very afraid because it felt punitive. It didn't feel it didn't feel um, like it was something to get off your shoulders and overcome and break through and make progress. It felt like I was in trouble, even though I would have wonderful accountability partners. They were kind of the uh, of sister types you didn't really want to confess things because you just felt like you were going to be in trouble. And so I had to actually learn the difference between, and I kept it written down, accountability and shame. And that's accountability says, this is not good. What you've done is bad. 
you know, or negative or not best for you. And shame is more toxic and dysfunctional and it goes too far. It pretty much says, you are not good, you're bad. There's that, right. I had to learn that difference, but coming from a condemning religious background, I feared accountability. Right. And it wasn't that I didn't want to take responsibility. I feared feeling like I was in trouble or condemned to hell and was the ultimate punishment. Right. Well, I think that that's what's come out of this wave. Like, I, I really believe in the, in the 90s, I heard this a lot as my kids were growing up. We have to give our children consequences. They have to have consequences. They have to have accountability. How are they ever going to learn ac accountability if they don't have consequences? And I think that that got changed. Consequences became punishment. We yeah. have to punish them that's what's going to make them accountable. But bad my, behavior equaled bad kid. Bad behavior equals bad person. Right. And, and I think the process was someone does something wrong. And now we're not, we're not just talking about kids because it's also applied. And yep. like you said, in the church, it's applied in business. It's, but someone does something wrong. And I think that this was the process that was supposed to come out of it. Although I don't think that's what happened. But someone does something wrong, you punish them for doing whatever it is that they did wrong. They learn from the punishment, regardless as, as to whether the punishment actually relates back to the act, right? Mm -hmm. Then they're supposed to learn, and then they're not going to do it again. So that was this, that was this whole idea of holding someone accountable. It really got me thinking, how is it is punishing someone really helping them to understand how to be accountable? And what I mean by that is, isn't being accountable for something that, and it could be something good or something bad, isn't being accountable actually or taking responsibility for things that you've done, isn't that internal? It is. Well, nobody can make you come clean. Right. Or, or it doesn't even, it's not even a matter I, I, of Let me take clean. it a little bit step further. Nobody, somebody can make you come clean. Nobody can cause you to have the desire to be accountable and want to confess or come clean or make something right. Nobody can give you that desire. They can force something out of you, but there's a difference. Right. And they can force you to behave a particular way sometimes, not all, not all the time, right? Because some people don't respond the way you want them to respond to punishment. They get better at keeping secrets. Right. They get better at keeping secrets right. or they hide it from you or they, or they just totally rebel against it because they just don't get it. But, but that was my thing. I started thinking about it and I'm thinking about accountability. How am I, if that, to me, it's something very internal. It's yeah. not external. It's me taking pride in what I do or when I do something that's incorrect, stepping up and saying, okay, I did this wrong, but how can I fix it? Right. And to me, that's something internal and that's, and that's born out of my own learning process, yes, right. right? That's born out of something inside of me. It's nothing external. It's not anything that someone... Now, someone can set up a, an environment where I can learn 
to be responsible, right? Or I can maybe have some life experience and say to myself and, and be reflective and be able to say to myself, you know what? I need to take pride in what I do. So when I go to the office, I'm going to put my, you know, full effort into it. And whenever I make a mistake, I'm going to learn from that mistake and I'm not going to do it again or whatever. So I think that an environment can be created so that you're more influenced or guided into being accountable, if that makes sense. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. I find that I come to that on my own, and that was just life experiences. I always have a, a thing that I can, when I've come into conflict or just a dispute with someone I'm in relationship with, I have, I like to step back and think, am I being ridiculous? And sometimes people aren't used to that because I will go to that person and say it, you know, I'm being really ridiculous. I'm being selfish. Or I totally read into this and I need to apologize and cut this down right now because I'm completely running with this. I'm, this is all in my stuff and all in my business and all the trash thinking that I have and I'm being completely ridiculous. And a lot of times, sometimes people won't know how to take that because they're not used to, I guess, r rigorous honesty on, on that level, but I have to live on that level. But I also think like what you said, you, you preface this with with something internal, with yeah. I have to live my life this way, right? Yeah. That this is how you feel. And you, it was a learning process. You got there through learning by making mistakes, by well, correcting I'll it. tell you, I'm living proof that shame and punishment don't work because I come from nothing but. And because I come from such drenched and shame and punishment and that type of thinking and environment and, and religious condemnation to a dysfunctional degree, I want nothing to do with it. And I became accountable in my own kind of clean living way. I don't want anything to do with shame. I won't, I don't have it in my relationships. I won't do it to anyone else. And I don't tolerate it toward me. It doesn't right. work. Shame doesn't work. Right. And, and I think pun but, and punishment isn't always shaming, but a lot of times it is. And it makes you feel ashamed. Right. And it makes you push things down. Like I, I can remember, I, I honestly attribute this to, we've talked about lying in the past and I yeah. have confessed and owned up, you know, when I was younger, I lied. I lied a lot as, as yeah. a teenager, right? I did. But I also believe that I was kind of, I was backed into a corner. I was punished so much that I, it, I was kind of damned if I did, damned if I didn't. So I might as well just go ahead and lie, not take responsibility for anything because I'm only going to get punished anyway. No matter what I do, I'm going to get punished, right? So to me, it's it, punishment can actually drive you in the other direction. Yeah. Right? It can, it can keep you from actually being accountable for what you should be accountable for, if that makes sense. It does. And, I, you know, I, I remember watching my son come up in his years and I started t putting him in that religious environment too because it was what I knew. So I sent him to that type right. of, even a private school. And I remember watching him respond in some of the ways that I recognize as my own feelings of defeat or fear or woundedness from the good kid, bad kid, from the punishment and something indicating you were in trouble for a length of time, which there should be consequences and punishment to a degree. But I think that I think it goes too far with the shaming. And that caused me to back off and think, okay, we have to go about this another way. Accountability has to come via another avenue. Right. And it has to come from within the person. So, right. I, but I think, I think you're, uh, you've hit on another, another part, of, another piece of this in that as parents, society tells us that we should be punishing our kids. 
Yeah, right. I mean, how many times you, I don't know, you're out in the grocery store, you're, you've got a toddler with you, they do something and everybody is standing there staring at you, making faces and making you feel like, oh my God, I should be right. doing something, right? I'm so embarrassed. I should be doing something. But so I went and looked up consequences because I agree with you. Con there has to be consequences to our behavior in order for us to learn. The definition of consequences I got was something that flows naturally from one's choices, actions, and decisions. Flows naturally. That's being flows the key naturally. phrase. Flows right. naturally. It's right. not forced. Right. And consequences can be and I, I put it in quotes, can be good or, again, in quotes, bad, right? So consequences, something that flows naturally that's a bad, uh, I'm trying to think of something that would be um, a bad consequence. Uh, I don't know, you just polished the floor and you wear really slippery socks on the floor and you fall down, right? That's a bad, that, that, that's a bad consequence of you wearing slippery socks on the floor not, or not checking your banking your bank account and going on a shopping spree and then your account goes into the negative things right like, yeah and you learn from that you yeah. learn to check your bank account you learn to not get stung right. right or you learn to you know i'm going to wear no slip shoes when i when i go on that floor after i've just polished it so consequences so punishment kind of i guess to me punishment is when we come up with consequences to shame, to hurt. And usually you hit, you hit on this too, Annie, I think a little bit earlier, but punishment, I, I see it as something that comes out of anger and fear. I do too. Right. It's, I do too. It's, I remember what, I think I had told you before, I remember watching a mom and this wasn't too long ago. I was wa walking into a meeting and it happened to be in a church setting and not all churches are bad. I just, I've gone, I just had a lot of bad experiences. I've also had wonderful experiences, but there is a lot of junk and wrong behavior that is paraded as self-righteousness or we've got it right. And I remember watching this mom, her son had um, smarted off to a teacher or something and they were walking out and she spanked him so hard and so many times and something within me, like the part of me that hates an underdog or injustice approached them and she spanked him because she said, you were rude to her. You embarrassed us or, you know, and long story short, she was embarrassed and that was her own fear and embarrassment. That wasn't for what was best for that child because she went clearly overboard and you don't humiliate someone to punish them. Right. And, and on top of that, to me, that's not necessarily a punishment that's linked back to the behavior. No, it isn't. Right. It's not the the kid doesn't understand truth truthfully, does not understand how he embarrassed you, right? You're the one who felt the embarrassment. The kid didn't. Otherwise, if the kid did feel that embarrassed, then they wouldn't have said it. Right. Right. They didn't so, think it was they were doing a lot of damage. And when you over punish like that, you send a lot of confusion and hard that's trauma. They're gonna remember that as a trauma. They're, that's very confusing to a child that they're being, you know, violently responded to over something that they didn't didn't even occur to them they did wrong. Right. That causes a lot of ripple effect damage down the road. Right. So so the consequences, although sometimes we do have to make sure and set up consequences, right? Yeah we have to set up consequences that might flow naturally. Like maybe talking to the child about, hey, you know, how do you, maybe asking questions. I love to do this in my house anyway, is I ask a lot of questions. How do you think the teacher felt when you said that to them? How do you think I felt 
um, when you said that. Is there a way that you could have said what you needed to say in a more positive way? Or what are you going to do about it now, now that you know how the teacher might feel or might see that response? Is there something you can do now? And to me, that's a way of kind of guiding them, uh, asking them questions, making them think, and making it kind of be more internal inside of their head, not this outside, I'm going to spank you. And, and, and have make no, you afraid and embarrassed yeah. and experience pain in front of people. Right. And demoralize right. you, and demoralize. you know, in front of people. Right. No, right. that is, that is where I think we completely get it wrong. You know, and, and I have memories of, of harshly handling my son, definitely not spanking him like that or ever in front of people because I was big into trying to not humiliate him. But I definitely remember handling things from a all black or white, all right or wrong perspective. And there wasn't a lot of room for compassion or understanding. I think a lot of times we fear if we lend compassion to a situation and don't have an abrupt response that is something they feel, we've lost control and it's gonna, they're going to run over us or the situation will get out of control. And I think that goes back to the fear, you know, not handling it a little bit more calm and putting some understanding and laying some you know, love and compassion and kindness on that. Right, which which that brings me to, um, I kind of did a little bit of thinking, I did a little bit of reading on this, and I kind of came up with these kind of tips, little tips on how to be effective with your consequences to try and guide, and it, it, it kind of, some of the things that I put in there talks just about what you're talking about, about how we as parents in particular tend to respond in a way out of fear and our own feelings and our own anger. We're not really, what's the word, taking into account the consequences to our children. And I really want to make sure this can be felt by people who are, you know, in the midst of SUD and crisis, because some of the, you know, I just want to make sure that people can relate. I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of crisis phone calls lately. And I, I don't, I want to be able to be able to listen who are saying, I've got to apply this conversation to my daughter who is now prostituting down the street. Right. Because things are getting really bad and really high level intense with some of these families. I don't know if it's happening around you, but I am in the trenches of that with some of these families. And I want to give them hope in the midst of drowning. Right. I do too. And actually that is one of the questions that I had in here. I had this question, okay, as far as SUD goes, yeah. um, what is our job with our loved ones? As yeah, because it's not just about little kids anymore. And some of the listeners, I'm sure, their kids aren't little anymore. They've got kids that are running amok, and sometimes they don't know if they're alive or dead for a few days. Right, or they're left with grandchildren, yeah. right? They're, they're oh, that's left a good raising point, right. grandchildren. Or and the consequences are different because you're not the direct parent, and this is probably a wounded child. Right, and really... If you think about it, when it comes to SUD, all of the punishment that we try to apply, all of the yeah. trying to hold them accountable for their behavior, it, it, it's not working. It didn't work before. It, I would ask the question, is it working? It, you no. know, are you getting anywhere? Are they stopping? All the arguing, all the fighting, all of that, it, does it change their behavior? And I have not yet seen it work. Have you seen no. it work? I Never. haven't met anybody where, oh, it made I, it worse. Right. Oh, I pled with him. I cried. I begged. And so he stopped. It I wrote a list of rules and, and hung them right. up. You and know. He, right. Yeah. And he signed. Yep. And all's good now. You know. No, that doesn't right. work. That doesn't work when you're in the midst of active addiction that is 
it's so fluid and crazy that you can't put a list of rules on it. Before we go on, successful intervention strategies to help a loved one deal with his or her substance use are often counterintuitive. Our sponsor, alliesinrecovery.net, offers suggestions that have been proven effective in getting loved ones into treatment and helping them stay there while reducing the stress, blame, and guilt we so often feel. I encourage listeners to join alliesinrecovery.net today. Now back to the show. The only thing I'll say about substance use disorder and consequences and accountability and punishment is I do believe wholeheartedly that all the same kind of guidelines or things to be taken into consideration are basically the same, that it doesn't change just because they're uh, dealing with substance use disorder. Um, So I'll just run through a a couple of, uh, I'll run through my list, a couple of things that that I wrote down. And I'm gonna tell you that Everything that I'm going to bring up is what Allies in Recovery is all about, mm-hmm. right? It's all about guidance. It's all about that they will come up, they will be accountable for their behavior once they learn. And I believe that it is a learning process getting into recovery and getting sober, that they will once they are sober, once they do get beyond or they get into recovery, and it may, it may not ever happen, mm-hmm. but that's when accountability starts to really come into play. So anyway, okay, so my first tip or my first thought on this is take a breath. Take a breath and step back and state the consequences clearly. Pause and be thoughtful, right? So, and what I mean by that is stop and think about what's motivating you to say and to do what you're doing. Are you punishing or are you laying out natural consequences? You know, so for example, if you're using, if I, uh, if you're using and you're using in my house, unfortunately, staying here is not an option, right? And state it clearly to the other person that 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 the consequences are going to be that I'll have a list I'll have a list of shelters I'll have a list of people that can help you and I will go you know I will go to great lengths to help you with this but the consequences of using when you're in my house is that you can't stay here right that's it that's because people feel guilty saying I can't just kick him out you're not kicking this person out the results of them not being able to maintain what the house requires is what removes them from the house you're not kicking them out Right. It's a result of what's going on with them. Right. The other thing, there's another piece in this that I think people forget all the time when when it comes to taking a breath. Uh, And that is when you do that, you're actually being respectful of the other person. So we always expect respect. We're always saying he doesn't respect me. How come he, you know, it's so, he's so disrespectful the way he talks to me. But really, do we talk to them with respect? We engage in that chaos and, and we become a part of that and we're not being very respectful. So if we stop and we take a breath and we think about what our motives are and we, and we clearly state what the consequences are, we're actually being respectful of the fact that they are going to make a decision for themselves. It might not be the decision we want them to make, but we have to respect that. 
Yeah, and sometimes you get to a point where I think, and just because this has been what I've dealt with lately, because I've been around it so much, uh, just working with families, somebody is so deep into it and so in the death grip of addiction that their mind is gone and they don't really hear a lot of things. They hear you talking and they want that engine, engine that's purring or, or humming or whatever to stop so they can get what they want or get away. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you just have to have your plan in place because, you know, I have one family I talked to and, and um, their daughter has left dental school and, and just dove head first into heroin and meth. And she's now prostituting in a little hotel and getting beat up all the time. She weighs about 80 pounds. They don't recognize her. She doesn't, rec- she doesn't respect herself or her own life or think she's worth anything or she wouldn't be in this mess. And they just don't even know how to talk to her. So it is a breath at a time sometimes, a step at a time. And sometimes you can stop and take a breath and you can hold somebody accountable and you can come up with the right things to say. But sometimes right. when everyone's at level 10 adrenaline and your daughter is prostituting that's a whole different ball game that is a whole that's a game changer to where you got to think quick and on your feet your daughter is on the brink of death and terrible things are happening to her she's at risk every moment of every day you have to have a couple of statements in place and you have to be loving kind and then you have to go deal with how it's killing you right you have to you have to practice it the thing is is that everything else is not working anyway you're right. So why not take a deep breath, take a deep breath. And like right. you said, have a plan, have it written out, practice it, practice it in front of the mirror, right? Practice what you're going to say. Um, you know, I always remember my dad would tell me I was really afraid to drive on ice when I was um, learning to drive. And it, it was a panicked thing. We have a lot of ice here in Ohio. And he would tell me when the car starts to go out of control on ice, let go of the wheel. And just dropping something like that, a behavior modification in my mind, when that moment of crisis came, I knew what to do. So sometimes it doesn't have to be some long drawn out thing that you're going to come up with and think, I'll say this and then they'll say that. And this is what I'll do if they don't say that. Sometimes it's just in that moment, you let go of the wheel. Oh, and And don't straighten itself out. Right. right, And don't say anything at all. Um, That was one of the one of the key pieces that I first got when I first started going to Naranon that. I had been reacting previous. I, was, I would always react. I would react out of fear. I would react because I thought I had to do something and I had to do something right now. And then someone said to me, how about if you don't do anything at all? And, and they basically said to me, if you don't do anything at all, then you're doing something than what you were doing before. A second tip is be consistent, mm-hmm. right? Be consistent. If you say you're going to do something, then do it right they, uh, to me and if you say you're not going to do something don't, don't do it and don't be pushed to a point where you do it because that point is where they'll take you next time and then they'll maybe just a little bit further and you cause yourself to be badgered right and they may kind of try and bully you in the beginning when you are being consistent but if you say something or you say you're not going to do something and you stay consistent I bet you they might throw a little bit more of a temper tantrum the first two to three times but I bet you you'll start to see things diminish at the fourth and fifth time because then they're like oh okay okay they're not going to do it or okay she is going to do exactly what she said she was going to do right okay third third little tip is be mindful so be mindful of yourself am I being motivated by fear and anger am I trying to punish this person and then kind of 
go into a Zen state. Maybe this is a good, a good chance to kind of take 30 seconds and just do a little bit of, of meditation and kind of internally reflect. I think it's a good thing to do that breathing for a few minutes or hold an ice cube in your hand till it melts and that completely reroutes your nervous system. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's I'll a, have that's to a really it. good tip for when you're surging at 80% or above. Because if I make decisions when I am surging and cortisol and adrenaline, it is never, ever the right decision. So yeah, I have to I pull agree. away and take four breaths or pull away and hold an ice cube or something just to remove me until the chemicals in my body can calm down. Right. Which kind of leads me to the next tip, which is keep the emotions out of it. So even when you're delivering your statement, right, even when you're delivering your consequences and you're trying to, to do some guidance, to get your message across, keep the, make it very matter of fact and keep the emotions out of it. Keep the yeah. tone down, right? You can be the first one to kind of pop that balloon and bring everything down a couple of notches and calm it down. They might not respond at first the way you want them to. They might not ever respond the way you want them to. But I know I was very surprised the first time I kind of took all emotions out of it. It was so good for me. Yeah. Right? It was so good for me that that no matter what the other person was doing, I was able to kind of find this this calm. And I didn't have that right raise in heart rate and raise in blood pressure. It just kind of kept me very even keel. And it helped me to, to really stay strong. I call that you don't panic with the panic. You don't take the hooks and run with them. I used to have... Um, I would have conversations with my mom when she wanted something or wanted to make a point and she would always go the same old route and it would be, you're a terrible daughter. You're not Christian. What would God think? Your sister would do it. You know, I mean, it was everything wrong with me. And for years, I didn't realize these were tactics. I just thought I had to argue against them and either prove my point or she was right. So... When I learned later and went through training and had experienced therapy and things like that and became skilled, when those arguments would come, I knew to back out of them or just to say, you know what, that's fine. That's fine that you think that. Maybe it's true, but I'm not changing my position. I'm not right. changing my decision. I'm not doing it or I'm going to go in this direction. And whatever that makes me in your mind that's insulting or terrible, it, it really doesn't matter. I'm still doing what I'm doing. Right. So stay strong to yourself and your right. own. And then the emotions, the emotion, emotion didn't go with her. I didn't go in those hours of fighting and arguing or defending, explaining, protecting. I just, once I dropped those weapons, life got a whole lot more peaceful. Right. Then, okay, uh, next tip, accept your limits, right? Accept your limits. Accept that you are, you might not get, and, and chances are, at least at the very beginning, you're not, things are not going to go the way you want them to go, right? That, that the person isn't going to get what's going on. It take learning is a process. So the other person learning what you want them to learn is a process for them and setting up the guidance to help them to learn that is a process. So you can't expect there to be results overnight. It, it, it just isn't going to happen. And you can't expect people to be where you are or want the same things you want. I want truth. I want growth. I want honesty. I want peace. Not everybody wants peace. I know a couple of people that will take any 
issue that there is possible to use as conflict and to fight and rage and surge. And there's no talking them out of that because right. that's they don't want peace. Some people long for war. They get energy from battle and conflict and getting worked up. Not everybody wants peace. Not everybody wants the same things that logically you would think they would want. And coming to realize that, you know, my son's girlfriend always talks about how she pays attention to what's inside the hula hoop. So I was like, what's, what's inside? Explain that. And she said, that's the circle around your feet. Around you. Everything yeah. inside of it is what you have to work on. If somebody crosses into it, then you deal with them. But right. not everybody, there's not, everybody's not experiencing the same thing inside their own circle and their hula hoop. And that's where your work is, inside right. of your hula hoop. Which is accepting your limits because you're working inside of your hula hoop. Right. And when you, right, and when you kind of uh, get into another person's hula hoop, right, that that's when you're not accepting your limits. And that's when there's resistance and suffering is when you're in each other's business and each other's right. stuff. You know, I always call my dysfunction my trash and my junk all of my junk I don't I can tell when somebody's poking at my junk or when I'm acting out of it and that's everything that's in that circle that I am called to work on right and also when you when you step inside of someone else's circle I think you're actually getting in the way and this is just my opinion but I think you're actually getting in the way of them learning you're getting you're kind of disrupting their process of learning right so stepping back and allowing them the respect to learn whatever it is they need to learn is, yep. is it's important. Okay, and last, um, my last little tip is, and this you can find right on the Allies and Recovery website, and that is to use I statements. So talk in ter- talk in terms of I. I feel this when this happens, right? I I feel really frustrated when you call me names, or I feel like screaming when this happens, and then go on to the consequence, right? Well, what's the consequence going to be the next time that that happens? You know, right? I would tell my um my friend that's a therapist. I always try to differentiate because some were friends that would kind of give me advice, and some were people I actually saw because I believe in therapy. I would always, I would tell her these, these arguments that my mom would instigate because my mom has been more of an impact on my life than my son when he was in his issue. The argument and the combat and the, the manipulation I had from her for years has been something I've had to work my way out of. And sometimes she would tell me to say, I can't get into this conflict with you anymore. I can't handle it anymore. I can't handle it. And that was my I statement. Whether you're right or wrong and you think we should have this argument for two hours where I prove to you, you know, I'm a great daughter or I'm not a terrible daughter because I give you money or I let you take advantage of something, you know, because that was always kind of the bottom line. Regardless of if you're right or wrong, I can't handle this. I can't do this anymore. Right. I, that's, that's actually one of my tactics in my house was always. And it's a good tactic. It's not a manipulative right. tactic. It's, it's not. And it's really, I. I call it like blaming myself, blaming it on me. And, and it really, it isn't. It's more clearly stating how I'm feeling. I'm feeling, you know, I'm really hurt when you treat me disrespectfully. And the next time that that happens, I'm going to have to find some space. So yeah. we're going to have to separate or something like that. But yeah, I blaming it on myself. And, and it is... It, that, that's one of my strongest tactics. Using I statements was my last tip. Before we go on, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge our sponsor, Allies in Recovery. Since 2002, Allies has been helping families like yours and like mine 
cope with the substance use of a loved one. Join Allies in Recovery today and you'll have access to a wealth of information, strategies, and community to help you navigate the minefield of addiction. That's alliesinrecovery.net. Now back to the show. Well, I, I have a little bit of a spin on it, on accountability. Um, and that's, I try to hold my, you know, we were talking about holding ourselves accountable and that's applying in my life. I like to, I try to apply rigorous honesty. Like I said, catching myself when I'm being ridiculous and that my goal is always to be, is always peace. Because to me, the definition of crazy is anything that's not peace. A couple of months ago, I was having a conversation with my son and I was really kind of just feeling bad about you know, I'd been really strict when he was little. And when he went through the first year or two of going through getting dependent on pain pills and the things that happened and the conflict it created within my family and with my mom, and I really handled it with so much fear and, you know, did the right and wrong thing and did the good and bad thing. And why can't you, you weren't raised this way. You know, this is not who you are. This is terrible. Look at you, look at your life. I did all of those things and just out of panic and fear. And I, sometimes I think, if I could go back and be in that situation and do it over, having the limited knowledge and skills, I probably wouldn't have done it different because I was operating on an engine of fear and pain and sorrow. So I can't fix it. But I'm accountable to him that no matter what he was doing right or wrong, then I'm a participant in this relationship. I'm not a victim of it. It's not one person above or under another. So I've gone to him a couple of times and said, I am so regretfully sorry that I was afraid to the point that I was insulting to you or shamed you so much or, you know, sometimes put you out immediately when I suspected something before I was sure. And I didn't operate out of compassion, love, understanding, knowledge, research. And I, I commit to you that I will spend my life not shaming people. I will research their behavior before I jump and respond to it. Right. Because that's my accountability was going to him and saying, I made you a container for my fear and rage and sorrow. And I'm so sorry for that. And he said, you know, I'm going to receive that forgiveness or receive this apology. I forgive you. But I ended up pretty freaking awesome. So you did something right. So I mean, he was very gracious and let me off the hook. But I needed to hold my side of the street accountable too, because none of us handled it right. The situation, nobody's going to be so well-trained and skilled and prepared. You're going to handle your child losing right. weight and being dependent on a medication they can't get free of. Nobody's good at that or ready for that. So I, I let myself off the hook a little bit that it was something so terrible and I did the best I could with, the t with what I faced. Absolutely. And I think all of us, we all have to forgive ourselves. We, we Absolutely. do. We and we have to ask for their forgiveness too because right. they're not less human because right. they became addicted they're not less my he's no less my child he's no less less valued he's no less wonderful and I treated him a whole lot less than the person he is because of the behavior that was driven by the dependency and right. I, that's one thing I regret the most and apologize for the most and do have to forgive myself for the most and I think we we all do it Right. And it, I totally agree with you, Annie. I, I think that I think that that's really one of my points with accountability or one of the things that I'm trying to say is that being accountable and you, you can't force someone to actually feel it. You can force someone to uh, you can punish them and you can force them to maybe lie or uh, but you cannot force a person to be reflective of their own behavior and to really feel like, oh my gosh, I did this wrong, right? You can only 
the only person who can be accountable for their behavior is yourself. And it has to dawn on you because my son could not convince me of what I was doing was wrong because I thought I was right. I thought I was right. in the right. And if you, if you believe something, if you perceive something, it right. is your steadfast reality. I right. thought I was right. And I was living in fear. And I thought I had to do something. I had to say something. I had to not right. do something. And I handled it so, you know, not always. And good came from it. And he's doing well. But in the midst of it, I, did, I operated in a lot of fear and a lot of worry, and yeah, that gets too. us nowhere. Right, me too. I, I, did the same, I did the same stuff. Every, I reacted. That's why I say I always reacted. I reacted to the situation, and I did it in a moment, you know, at a moment's notice. I was always, I was hypervigilant, and I was always prepared and ready to react to whatever crisis became, uh, came in front of me. But the problem was, was because I was reacting and I wasn't taking a deep breath, my response was not good. No. It wasn't working. And it wasn't until I realized, oh my God, what I'm doing isn't getting me anywhere. It's not. No. It's, and we are in this. We're not doing anything. We're in this death match together. And that's one thing I love about the craft method is how they say when you, you may maybe take lunch to your son or drop off yep. some groceries to your daughter. Don't mention the condition that they're living in. Don't mention the behavior. Just give them love. Extend something to them. That's not enabling. You're not buying drugs. You're not shaming them. This could be the last time you see them. So right. do something loving and kind and don't mention the condition of their life because right. they know the condition of their life. Right. They and know right. it already. If right. you say, look at you, you're, who, you're selling your body. You weren't raised for this. How are you not humiliated? They are humiliated. That's one thing that's driving the continue of use. Which I also think what you're talking about, about giving rewards is a great way to help set up an environment where they become accountable right. for their behavior, right? So and if craft is all about that. It's all about that, right? And if you... If you're rewarding that positive behavior, they're going to want more of that. Right. Right. And they're going to, they, they really, I don't think that they're going to awaringly say, oh, geez, she brought me dinner or she bought me lunch or whatever it was that they, you know, they go, oh, I'll never get high again. But they may get the point that, oh, okay, she bought me lunch. She met me here. I wasn't high. Right. Maybe you'll get that one little piece just through that one little reward that maybe next time they'll know and they won't be high again. And then maybe right. you can extend yeah. that out a little bit further. And then they start to see that, oh, okay, the more time she spends with me, you know, the more time that I'm not high, the more time she spends with me, the more food I get, you know. And these are ways I think that you're more likely, and of, of course, it, it, it's never an absolute, but you you're more likely to get them to be accountable. And, and willing to look at making a change in their life because yeah. you're dropping the weapons. You know, like, um, like Rick Miner, the officer we interviewed with the Hope Task Force said, when they go to somebody's door after an, after an overdose and they say, here's resources, here's someone to call, here's comfort. And these people are used to them saying, put your hands up, you're under arrest. When, when the weapons are dropped and the threat of shame or punishment is off, that gives people a little bit more breathing space to, to take a look at things more logically, even in the midst of active use. It works. Right. And I, I think of it this way, too, like what you're talking about. If the police officer comes up, you know, get on the ground and they're yelling and screaming. Well, 
immediately you've got fear, immediately you become defensive. The police officer is not being nice, doesn't look at you as, as um, you know, they look at you as an enemy. They look at you as being below them. When you, when the police officer then says, hey, can I get you some treatment? Yeah. What are you going to say? No, right? The, the, I'm sure the one thing you want to do is to get as far away from that police officer as you possibly can versus a police officer that comes up and says, hey, buddy, I see you're struggling with life. I see you're having some, you know, having a tough time. Well, you know what? I'm here. And if you want some help, I know some people that can help you. Maybe they won't take it the first time. Maybe, maybe if you see them again, maybe you can strike up a little bit more of a conversation with them, right? And, yeah, removing the punishment right. creates an, a realm of trust. I remember my son even saying the same thing. He said, the more you came at me with shame and punishment, the less I trusted you. And I wasn't able to trust enough that I could say, hey, I'm ready to get out of this. I need your help. I need to come to you because I was so about forcing consequences. I was, I believed forcing misery, force this misery on him. And in my opinion, in my motives, I thought I was saving his life, that if I force misery, it'll force him out and he won't die. But I was right. totally handling it wrong that way. And it caused right. a total breach of trust. When, when you drop the weapons and you hold accountability, but without shame and punishment, and you extend, you know, even just for a moment, extending safe and, you know, safety and love and compassion, it doesn't mean you're going to be taken advantage of or run over. It's just a whole different way and it works. It right. works. The other right. stuff doesn't work or else there'd be no addicts because everybody shames them. They've right. already been shamed enough. If shame worked, there would be no epidemic. Right. I agree. A hundred percent. I agree. Yes. So I, 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 sh I guess we can end it on that. That sounds good. All right. Well, thanks so much. And I will see you next week for coming up for air. Sounds good. Enjoyed talking with you. Bye, you Annie. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this Coming Up for Air podcast with Annie Highwater and Lori McDougall. If you're interested in reading Annie's book, Unhooked, A Mother's Story of Unhitching from the Roller Coaster of Her Son's Addiction, it's available online, or you can simply follow the link at the bottom of one of Annie's blog posts on alliesinrecovery.net. Coming Up for Air is sponsored by Allies in Recovery, the online home for families facing the addiction of a loved one. Allies in Recovery can help you understand your loved one's struggle and offers effective communication strategies that encourage treatment and discourage use. In addition to interactive e-learning, Allies in Recovery offers expert advice, podcasts, tools for evaluating treatment options, recent news items, and access to a large community of families coping with issues similar to yours. Join alliesinrecovery.net today. That's alliesinrecovery, all one word, .net. Thank you for listening. Our theme music was performed and composed by cellist Eric Corey. 